You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. What's going on, everybody? And welcome back to Dear Culture, the podcast for, by, and about black culture, where we highlight people, places, things. We get into the nouns here of blackness. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, a person I know uh, personally, a family friend, but a person who does a lot of really, really good and important work and has found a way to successfully and effectively merge the worlds of social media, uh, therapy, affirmations. You know, like there's a lot of people who spend a lot of time online who tell you what to do or tell you what you can't do. But this is somebody who has the skills, knowledge and training to actually be bringing these things to you in a way that's very useful. This month's affirmation go like this. I am doing what is right for me. It's okay if some people don't agree with or support my choices. Three things to know if you want real change in your life. One, the stages. In a perfect world, we think it, we do it. But that isn't anybody's reality all the time. Not in real life. I can say personally, that I am somebody who watches your videos. I, I listen to the affirmations. I ain't gonna say I put them all in work. I ain't gonna say I effectively <laughs> deploy it all. Sometimes I'm mad, I'm like, dang it, now I know better, I just gotta do better. But I'm working <laughs> on that. So if everybody will please put their digital virtual hands together for my guest today, Mr. Keir Gaines, who is a licensed therapist. He's a husband, a father. Uh, all-around good guy and person who seems like your mission is to make the world a better place. So how you doing today, brother? I'm good, man. These intros get more progressively more oppressive the longer I do this. At first it's like, hey, this is a guy who had a viral video, Keir Gaines. And now it's like all these explanations of these different ways I show up, man. But pleasure to be here, brother. And pleasure to talk to you, man. We friends in real life. I don't usually get that opportunity. Yeah, it is cool to be able to do stuff with people that you know who are genuinely doing things. Like, you know, when you know people, you you get together, you kind of, you know, shoot the breeze, you kick it, whatever. But when you get a chance to work together in professional capacities on things, when people are genuinely doing stuff, I always think that's really cool. Um, and you just said something like already we're getting there like you you show up. That's a term that I really love because like half of being a parent and a father is showing up. And mm -hmm. the other half of it is showing up intentionally, like doing all this stuff with mm -hmm. intention. And I think that's where most of the things that I get from you have been so helpful and so interesting. Like your show up game seems to be top notch. So I kind of want to talk about how we got here to begin with. Like you're, you were doing very important things, very important work. But how did you get on this path to begin with? I don't actually know your your story like the backstory, mm -hmm. how we even got here. I've known you for years, obviously, but, and I know about the influencer content creator part, but how do we even get here to the place where what you do on social media is what you do? Man, that's a good question, bruh. You're so, you're so damn good with words. Honestly, I think it's a lot of different things that happen. I grew up in Washington, D.C. I grew up in Southeast, and the D.C. that that exists now is a very gentrified, very palatable, you know, place where you can go get coffee, a Danish muffin, and a chocolate croissant all within the same one block radius. But the DC I grew up in was very violent, uh, culturally tumultuous. It just wasn't a healthy environment to raise a young boy or anybody for that matter. And I looked around me and while the hood does have this sexiness, you know, like like it's this it's this grittiness. You get to earn every inch of your story. You get to have these war wounds that you can talk about. You you live on the edge. I just felt like it was more. I always felt like it was more. I never felt like that represented who I was. And the more I met people from different countries and from different neighborhoods, because when you're from Southeast, you don't really move too far outside of your neighborhood. Just up to five miles up the road is completely foreign to you. Um, I, I saw what I didn't want to be, and I started moving in the opposite direction. I saw men who use their neighborhood as a means to just collect wealth for themselves and neglect everybody else. I didn't want to be that. I saw men who had children and, and it was difficult for them to connect to those kids. I didn't want to be that. I saw men who were obsessed with money and everything else fell by the wayside. I didn't want to be that. So I think it's just strategically doing things to move in the opposite direction. You selling weed, I'm going to get a job. You know what I'm saying? Like, y'all out there, y'all going to the pool, y'all about to fight them dudes from the other neighborhood? I think I'm going to stay back today. 
it's just following your heart, being being comfortable with being a little bit different and, and growing and maturing into that mindset for sure. So what set you on the path towards therapy? Because everything you said makes sense to me. Like it's, I can understand that 100%. Like I see what you're doing. I don't want that. I see where that goes. But therapy is a very intentional way of like going the other direction. You know, you can you can go get a degree in anything, but you were like, nah, I'm I'm focusing on the mind and the mental part of all of this. So what pushed you in that direction? Becoming a father, getting my my girlfriend at the time pregnant and not really knowing what was next. I felt like I didn't have a great relationship with impending fatherhood. I felt like it was robbing things from me. Um, I I didn't want to go throughout the rest of my life blaming this woman and this child for things inside of me that I was conflicted with. Uh, you know the old saying, uh, you know, you, you bleed on people who didn't even cut you unless you healed those wounds. And I, I didn't know that therapy was going to be effective. I didn't know anybody who had been to therapy before. But I knew that I needed help, and I knew that I wasn't too proud to reach out and say, hey, I, I went as far as I can go on my own. I'm going to need a hand. And luckily for me, and I always say my first therapy session wasn't even that good. I don't think it was profoundly effective, but I do feel like I, I took one or two things out of that that I was able to apply to my life and keep moving in a forward direction. I, Bruh. And we can we can sit here and we can we can have a conversation about fatherhood or we can have a conversation about fatherhood, like the the, I mean, the identity, <laughs> bro. Like your whole identity is just stripped from you. The thing that you thought that you were, the autonomy that you have to make decisions in your own life, is gone. And you, I found myself in this windfall where it's like you lean too far back in a chair and you pass the point and overturn and you know you about to fall, so you just start grasping at things in the air to try to save you, but there's nothing there. And your ass is about to hit the ground. That's how I felt with fatherhood. And I, I needed I needed my feet to touch something where I could just plant them there and I could stop this fall because it was happening. You know, it's funny you say that. Because, you know, you and I have talked about this before. Like, I've always, like, fatherhood wasn't something that, I think scared me. Like, I think the big unknown of what that meant scared me, but I come from a family where the fathers all raise all their kids. Like my Damn. father wasn't even raised by his mother. My grandfather, um, you know, was basically had all of his kids. Like I come from, I, I saw that stuff. So I never really, like I was always more concerned about being a good husband than I was about being a father and not even like cheating or anything like that. Just like, uh -huh. what does it mean to be a good husband? Cause my father was all those things. He was a good father. He was a provider, but I don't I don't really know what my father and mother's relationship genuinely was. I never asked. Right. You know, who has the insight as a kid to ask those things? So it's funny. You know, we've talked about that because being a being a dad didn't scare me. And I wasn't really I, mean, I have four kids. I love them all. They drive me bonkers like on a daily basis. But, you know, I also think like I don't know what my life would be like without these tiny humans who depend on me because I can't imagine that. But all the stuff you said, but you're a licensed therapist. Right. So what? how is that like? How does that work? Like, so you basically, what does that mean? You you have the tools to know this stuff, and how does it work in your own personal life? Like, all the skills and training you have, like on a personal level, forget the 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 stuff you share with the world, but on a personal level, how did that help in your own journey on therapy? Well, when you the thing about being a therapist is it's just a job. It's, it's glorified because of the social climate that we are currently in, but it's yeah. it's just a job. It's just training like any other job. There's no job that you have that's going to exonerate you from human feelings, even if it's a therapist. So the frustrating part for me is I can draw you a roadmap on how to get from point A to point B, but it's different when we talk about depression philosophically versus depression sitting on top of you in your real life and you having to navigate through that. It's different. It's very different. So when you experience these things, it's like a frustration between knowing what to do and being disappointed in yourself for not being able to do better. I just I have to constantly remind myself that I'm allowed to make mistakes regardless of what my profession is. I'm allowed to make mistakes. I'm allowed to get angry for things that seem trivial. I'm allowed to to if, if my kid gets on my nerves to have an outburst of frustration as long as I come back later and either explain or apologize or make amends toward it. So it's just giving yourself a lot more grace because you know what it means to be human from every direction. But uh, it can make you a lot harder on yourself. And to your point earlier, when you're talking about fatherhood, just like how 
we come into this thing in different places. Your environment plays a huge role as well. You said like the men in your life were all fathers and they took care of everything. That's the opposite. I was never worried about me being a husband because I figured if I could submit to the idea of marrying one person, I'd be good at that. But the idea of having to have someone constantly depend on me and me never seeing a father do what he does, not in my community, not in my life, not in my friend circles, I guess that was my great unknown. So to tie it all up, that lived experience also comes back. You talk about living in a hood and living in a place where emotions aren't something that we talk about very frequently or that we honor or respect or attach to, to who we are. Man, it's, it's, it's not one singular thing. It's not the Instagram fix all where it's like, you know what? This is what I do when it gets hard. You know, I, I use this tool, this tool, and this tool. No, I struggle profoundly. I make a lot of mistakes. I feel bad about the mistakes that I make. It's just that I have the tools and I try to climb my way back to, uh, as we say, climb my way back to zero when I can. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. Yeah, and that, that's one of the things, and I've told you this personally, but one of the things I think that makes you successful is the authenticity there. Like you said a lot just now. So for instance, you you know you know the roadmap, but the human part of it gets in the way, right? And it's Absolutely. funny because when I think of like people who are therapists, like, oh, you should know how to navigate these things, but you're right. It is a job. Like it just knowing what you're supposed to do is to know better versus do better. You still got to be a human in the middle of that. And yeah, that's just, it's just really deep. Like to even think about that. Like I know what my training has taught me about this, but internally I want to punch things. I'm not supposed yeah. to do that, but I still have to figure out. So now I got to figure out what's the best solution to get to the end that I'm looking for. It's like, I guess that's the, the, the good part is like, it's, I imagine a results-oriented job, right? You're thinking about how to get the best outcomes, like just as a natural inclination. Um, but so, which is interesting. So what made you decide to take all of this and put it online for the world? Like, what was that transition like? Because you're very good at it. You know, that authenticity Thanks, just brother. jumps off of the screen. But it's still a, a decision to be like, I'm going to be vulnerable. I'm going to be transparent. I'm going to share your wife, Noemi. Like you all have videos where you all talk about the struggles and in, in, the struggles and solutions in your marriage. Just like what it's like a day in the life kind of thing where you're discussing, you're bringing private moments public and allowing us all to see what that looks like and learn from it. That small part of me that wants to destroy you because you pissed me off, <laughs> oh it would have it took over, but yeah. you know how that is. Of course, yeah. of course. You can say the thing to solve the problem, or you can say the thing to get your words yeah. off. Yeah, those are two totally different <laughs> They don't go to the same no. destination of resolution at all. So what was that transition like from, this is, these are things that I'm interested in, maybe I can do this as a content creator as well. I think I've always created content. When I was in high school, I, I took my mom's video camera. I recorded everything. Um, it's always been a part of who I am, and I've always been an open book. Um, I, I feel like there are parts of the human experience that we shouldn't be embarrassed about. Having arguments in our relationships, not knowing exactly what to tell our children during difficult times. It's in times like that where sometimes I turn to social media and I try to figure out, well, what, what are these people doing? What's, what are they doing compared to what I'm doing? What's different out there? What can I learn? What can I glean? And when I hop online, what I see is people kind of curating these perfect versions of themselves. And when I look at that, I don't get anything from it. I feel like I'm being fed a, a, a very um, editorialized version of that person. So I just try to be the change that I would like to see in the world. I want to see what happens when you argue with your wife and what those uh, and what the, what solutions you come to. I want to see what happens when you disagree with your friends and you have conflict and everything isn't perfect like a sitcom. You just said that uh, therapy is results-oriented. I actually disagree for the way that I practice therapy. I think I'm very process-oriented because I can't control the results. All I can do is teach you the process. I hope that you can use those tools when the time comes. Um, and I think just a mix of all those things urged me to put that out into the world. You know what? This morning I woke up and I had a little bit of self-doubt. If I hop on IG, somebody's going to tell me, hey, don't let anything make you doubt yourself. And I'll feel good about right. it. I'm like, damn, you see me. But I got so caught up in you seeing me that I didn't realize you didn't give me any solutions. You're just spinning problems. 
So I, I think being solution-based in an area where people really struggle is something that I look for. And I think I just, I put that into my content. It's, it's easy to tell people the what. Where's the why and the how? The what just makes people feel validated that they experience, they're not crazy. What they think is going on is actually going on. But the what doesn't help people when you just spin it. It's the why and the how. Yeah, I mean, you, as usual, you're out here preaching the word because, I mean, I think that's true. Like, when I think of therapy, I do think of the end, like, better. You're just better. You're doing better at this. But the truth is, like, you can't be better unless you figure out how you got there in the first place, right? Like, you understand what mm -hmm. undergirds the issues and all that stuff. And I think, what? Well, I a guess minute. for a lot. Wait a minute. I'm good with words, but run that one back. That does what? <laughs> It does what undergirds, what? you know, like what, under, what undergirds it, uh, with, 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 what with, that with, mean? Found, with foundationally underneath all of those. Got it. Uh, yeah. Under, underneath those issues. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. I do think as a, as a father, like I had, my, my dad was a good dad, right? I, I, I stand by that firmly, but there wasn't a lot of talk about emotions and all this stuff. Like it, <laughs> I don't remember. My father ever asking me, and, and you know, if he watches this, I, I don't mean this as a shot, but like how you feel about anything or what you're doing, or how you know how do you feel about what you're doing? And I've learned that as a father, like I want to be that kind of dad. Like I actually, I, I genuinely want to understand. Like I never want to just be like, just do what I say because I said to do it. You know what? I do that sometimes. I mean, you know, naturally, I'm just like, boy, just of clean up or you know whatever. But you know, I've learned through fatherhood how much of that stuff I need to figure the why. Like, why am I like this? And is this something that I'm good with remaining? Like, do I want to uh -huh. stay this way? Because if not, then I got to change this. And it's it's funny how that's impacted the way that I parent, like on an individual basis, like learning my kids individually. They're not just my kids. They're all, you know, uh -huh. this is one person. This they're is one people. person. This is one person. Yeah. And trying to meet them where they are and having given them that grace to understand, like you one of my kids is especially lit. You know, he just yeah. always like, <laughs> and having to reel that back in, but understanding like, all right, this is just who he is. And how do I do that? You know, my wife is always getting on me about this gentle parents and stuff and all that. And which I want to know, what I want to know your, your thoughts about the whole gentle parenting <laughs> thing. But it's like having to learn who I am and how I got to where I am and why I'm pissed about certain things or why I'm reacting a certain way has been a lot of process. And you're right, I don't know if that's ever going to end in a result. Like, I'm just going <laughs> to continuously hopefully get better uh gentle parents what do you think about that <laughs> you know uh, f first off you're you're an amazing father uh our kids do tennis together you. your kids are older than mine um well for the most part majority of your kids except one are older than mine but uh i see you i remember one saturday we were at tennis and i'm like bruh i'm chauffeuring these kids around and you were holding a baby and had one in your hand you said that's what it means to be a dad bro you give up your weekends and it looks mad effortless <laughs> when i always admire that um in terms in terms of gentle parenting there's two sides of me uh I, I got the side that is me like me me and then i got therapist me therapist me understands that gentle parenting is one effective way of going about parenting it's very popular right now uh it's one effective way to parent your child Mimi understands that there's no way I can be gentle all the time I'm not a nice parent after 8 30 hey yo go to bed I don't there's no gentleness go to bed you know uh, but the beautiful thing about science is science isn't fact. Research isn't fact. Best practice isn't fact. It's the closest we can get to an ideal situation with the information that we have now. In 20 years, general parenting may be the same thing as, as talcum powder was looking back. In the 80s, they tore our necks up with talcum powder. Now we found out that it, make, it gives people cancer. Uh, I I'm, I don't mean to be that alarmist, but I say all that to say in 10 years, there may be another best practice for parenting that's the complete opposite of gentle parenting. Like you just got to find your stride. You get the point. Most of parenting is knowing about what's going on with you in the moment. What's going on with you? Are you taking this moment to center yourself? Are you saying no because you're annoyed? Or are you saying no because that's something that's dangerous for the kid? They shouldn't have it in the moment. It's really a whole bunch of internal processing. So I take that part of parenting closer to heart than the actual uh, deployment of strategies and, all right, honey, and using the gentle voice and trying to negotiate that maybe you don't have a kid that that's going to work for that way. So I think it's a multitude of different practices you got to pull from.
I'm not I'm not going to beat the drum or general parenting because it's super popular right now. But it is it is very effective for some children and some parents. You just got to take into account your personality and your kid's personality. That's the part we don't always talk about. I agree 100 percent. We're going to take a real quick break here and then we're going to come back and talk about the work you do through social media. The, like I said, the effective use of social media and how you got there and all that stuff. So stay tuned right here on Dear Culture. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. All right, we're back here in Dear Culture. I'm still here with Keir Gaines, a licensed therapist, social media influencer, content creator, uh, family man, husband, girl dad, all the things who has managed to very interestingly do all these things very publicly through content creation. Uh, in a way that's both effective, useful, and has allowed you a lot of opportunities and and put you in some interesting spaces. So I want to talk about all that stuff. Um, so, so how do we get how do we get from Keir Gaines content creator to Keir Gaines like influencer? This is what I do as a living. Like I am, I am a person who literally makes a living being me, authentically me. At this point, how crazy is that? It is very crazy. I love it How for you. How crazy is that? <laughs> How crazy is that? Um, so we we got there by having a lot of luck and by being very consistent at the same time. Uh, I had a viral video blow up about two years ago, shortly after George Floyd was murdered. So before you take on a family, bro, go see somebody about your past and go see somebody about the trauma that you've endure throughout the course of your life and start healing because if you don't heal from that you'll have all this and you'll never be happy and i don't want that for nobody and it was just about fatherhood and it was urging men to go to therapy and saying it's pretty much telling my story my cautionary tales like hey if you don't go to therapy and like retrace these steps from your childhood and deal with those things. You have the wife and the baby and the house and the dog and the bird, 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 but you'll never be happy. And um, it just it it blew up everywhere. And the next thing I know, I got management teams calling me from these huge agencies talking about representing me. And one of them is the agency I'm with now, DBA. And I have a manager. My manager has an entire team. Like, don't look at my social media. I think I do this all by myself. I got a big team. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's it don't work. It doesn't work that way. Um, and basically, we met and figured out the best way that I could reach out to people. I was doing fatherhood content at first. I was only doing fatherhood content, and my That's manager right, yeah. was like, "You need to like start. You have some brilliant insights when it comes to mental health. Maybe you should start giving people." advice and i was like nah i don't want to tell people what to do it's too many people on ig telling people what to do and after a while i kind of found my niche not so much telling people this is the thing you need to do to fix your life but it's saying here are some practices that are effective with my clients if you could just recruit some of those practices throughout your own life it may be helpful for you it's a very touch and go way of giving people information and letting them use their skills and their lived experience to work that thing out and I think it's a mix of just me being a, uh, a me mass media undergrad major, knowing how to captivate people's attention really quickly, understanding how to bring touch points in in a way that doesn't make people feel blamed and accused, but makes them feel enlightened and empowered. Uh, and just just being a person that gets bored real easy, bro. Like, I see content, and if you don't grab me in three seconds, I'm gone. And I, yeah. I put that, I, I apply that to my own content. And just after a while, the brands start to see you, Target starts to see you, and all these other big companies start to see you, and they can see their brands and their strategies in the content that you do. And the more brand content you do, the more brand content opportunities you get. And it's like, all right, well, let's play around with other stuff. Oh, I want to deliver this message to people. And you put it out there, and maybe it falls flat, maybe it's, it's, it gets high acclaim. But you take whatever that response is, and you look at the thing you built, and you strip away the parts that people didn't like so much, and you add parts that you think they will like. And then you present it back to the public. It's just a whole bunch of litmus testing. And and not being afraid to look like a complete fool on the internet. <laughs> I think it's funny you say that, because... So, well, let me, let me circle back to this first. That video you're talking about was amazing. Like, I had people... People who don't know that I know you sent me that video like nonstop. Like it was, and I remember you telling you, I think maybe you did a video about this. Like that was something you had in the stash. Like you weren't even, it wasn't like an intentional thing that you put up. You just, 
decided, I guess maybe decided one day to, to drop it and all of a sudden your life changes, right? Like yeah. something- I had to drop it twice. Because it was a really good video. You said, oh, you dropped it twice? Yeah, the first time they got like 300 likes. I didn't and I added captions that. I to it, and music to it, and reposted it, and it went nuts. Okay, I didn't realize it was a, that was the second time. Listen, sometimes you got to re-release the single, you know what I'm saying? Sometimes you got to put it on Sometimes you got to re-release the single, that's facts. And and it's funny because, so that thing that thing goes viral. It really was out of there. I remember seeing celebs, rep- like it was everywhere, but mostly yeah, because man. it was really... It was really helpful. It was like something that I think that, like you said, look, at the right time, all of us who needed to see that saw that. And it just so happened a lot of people needed to see that at that time. And a lot of people were like, yo, this is the content that we need more of because the content that we're getting, like this is a person who has something to say that that we probably need to hear more of this. And, you know, I guess I wonder, how did you master? So, okay, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's something that kind of took you out of here. But now you're in the limelight. Now you're in the space where you have to continue to create this content. How do you decide what you're going to continuously put out there? Because you said consistency. Like in this business, consistency is key. If uh-huh. you don't drop something for a week, people forget you exist, right? It's oh, easy to move on to somebody else. So sure. how do you keep up with the content release schedule and also decide what you're going to post? <laughs> Uh, I decide what I'm going to post based on the things that I find interesting. It's you can look at trends and look at the things that get a lot of views, but there's just certain talking points that I see are missing from the social zeitgeist. Like there's this one quote where this author was talking about women being more emotionally wired. And I'm like, oh, this would be a really good opportunity to talk about the stereotype of men being uh, fact-based and strategic and logical and women being emotional. Like, that's a complete collective cognitive distortion that we have. Right. Let's talk about that and you cut straight to the conversation. Anxiety. I deal with anxiety every day in my life. I know tools. Let me deliver people these three tools with a storytelling element and see how it goes. So I'm just applying things from conversations that I have, things that I experience in my own life and just presenting it to the public. There's no grand strategy. Uh, in terms of keeping it rolling i'm always writing i'm always recording it, it consumes a large part of my life uh but i absolutely love it i think that's the thing when you love it you look at it from a different angle because it's not just some type of product that you're trying to feed to the masses this is what you really think and what you really believe in and you lean into it a little bit differently when you're that attached to it time for a quick break we'll be right back You know, you brought in the manhood space, and this is something I really wanted to talk to you about because I know you do a lot of work with, uh, like, you've done, like, in-person events and stuff like, like, diverse conversations about manhood and what it means to be a man and what that looks man. like and, and, and bringing in all, like, talking about anxiety, like, like, I have this conversation with my wife all the time because she's like, you know, in America, everybody's stressed out and all this stuff and people, you know, the therapy and all this stuff, and I'm like, I, I wonder if people are just like that around the world. It's just here, there's a constant focus on this stuff now. Like, just because it's undiagnosed doesn't mean it doesn't exist, right? And I feel like there's a lot of conversations now about that. And you posted something in January that I wanted to talk to you about, especially as it relates to, like, this manhood space. And here's what you said. I'm going to read this directly. It says, I've been a full-time content creator for two years, and I'm so disappointed in the lack of affirming, helpful content that exists for men out there. It's just difficult to come across. I'd love to see more men commit to widening the perspectives and improving the lives of other men. Make your content, bro, but add a little value to the community along the way. And that that stuck with me. Like when when I saw that, like, and I knew I was going to talk to him, like, I got to talk about this, like the diversity of manhood and the kind of content that seems to be out there nowadays, which I can acknowledge is very disappointing in a lot of spaces because it's very, it kind of goes back to the telling women What's wrong with them? Like, that's the only thing that men seem to like talk. I don't, I don't want I don't want to shortchange this because I know that's not all that's out there. But there's a lot right. of that. That's the kind of stuff that bubbles. Right. That kind of, you know, that's the predominant voice. about it and they share. it. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like what kind of content one would you like to see more of? And like, how does that disappointment like spur so much of the work that you do? The way that it spurs the work that I do. I think that that kind of is the answer in the question. It's the disappointment. It's my lived experience of being a young man 
and wishing that I knew how to navigate my relationships with women better, especially outside of a sexual context. Because right. when I see, whenever I see a man, we can say specifically a black man, and he has a large platform, and either he has a book out or he is writing a book, and he's very intelligent, and he, you know, he knows how to put his words together. His content is almost always going to be around giving women advice, like dating advice or love advice or affirming women specifically without affirming men. And sometimes his content is centered on the idea that men need to do better. And the thing that frustrates me is if you're a man in the space preaching that men need to do better, how is it that none of your content actually connects those dots and teaches men to do better? Men has historically done a lot in society to to subjugate and and step on a variety of different people. There's no escaping that. But we're at a point now where manhood is facing like this real identity crisis and men are being asked to do things that we've never been asked to do before. And I think the, the predominant voice of some of those spaces is like, hey, it's about time. Y'all need to catch up. But when in all actuality, from a healing and a learning perspective, it doesn't work that way because you don't know what you don't know sometimes. So where's the gentle guiding voice for these men, especially the young men? Um, and I think that's something that I would like to see more for the young men who are between the ages of 14 and 24. Where's the developmental advice for them? Where is the, hey, this is how you choose a good mate. Try to find some content that shows young men how to choose a good mate. Find yeah. it. It does not exist, but what does exist is a multitude of voices telling young men these things that you think are wrong, which I understand why that exists. It has to exist. It has to change. Or this is why the things that you think are bad. This is why the ways that you behave are unsavory. And it just, it casts this shadow of these young men just becoming um, like the social boogeyman as opposed to saying, hey, this is where you are. Maybe this is where you ideally like to be. This is where I see tell me where I'm wrong. And when you sit and the men are always very, uh, I'm not going to say always, that's too big, but you know, whenever we get in a room, it's usually about money. Everybody's very, uh, you know, straight up and empowered. And this is how we lift our community. And it's right. just all of these rigid conversations. Like, bro, what a podcast where black men are laughing, <laughs> telling jokes, kicking it. And like, it's just, it's just a, such a poor diversity of manhood. I like to see those a little bit more. So I try to put that in my content. But I like to see men pour into men. I like to see that yeah. more socially, not just feed women empty validation to make them buy your books, but like actually pour into men. It's not going to make you the same amount of money. Of course not. But the larger social impact is valuable if you love black people. Yeah, I actually think it could make you a lot of money. If the, I mean, as long as it's genuine, right? Like you're bringing that stuff honestly because... You know, it's funny, like you say that I have I have my wife's younger. She has two younger brothers who are both in college uh -huh. right now. So they're, you know, two excellent young men. Yeah. Excellent young men. Young. They're uh -huh. going to be wonderful additions to society. Right. Once, once they step into that role. Right. But it's funny, the kind of conversations that I have with them, because they largely do center the stuff you're talking about. Like I talk to them about getting married and like the kind of women that you're looking for and not, not just men, these women are X, Y, Z, but just kind of like, you know, who are you and what do you actually think? Like the, you know what I've learned a lot about men and like, as a boy, you just don't know what you don't know. You don't even know what questions to ask, right? Because there's nobody, there's nobody asking you the question or making you think about this stuff. Like kids are remarkably self-centered and young, you know, we think you're an adult when you're 18, but you're still a kid, right? Like the amount of self-centeredness that exists. So it doesn't allow you to truly think outside of yourself. And like, think about yourself in a global capacity, like, all right, at some point I want to get married, but what does that mean? And what am I looking for in a person I want to marry? Mm -hmm. All right, like, here's how, what kind of person am I right now? And is this something I can work on? Like, am I messy? Am I, am I clean? Am I all these things? Like the stuff that we just don't naturally think about until you have to, and you hope it ain't too late. You done already married somebody. Now y'all are clashing or you're in a relationship. Is your clashing because the the type because you didn't realize what you hated before you got there, you know what right. I mean? Or you didn't think about yourself and what kind of person you were going to be to that person. So, you know, it's funny you say that because I have all the a lot of these conversations with them and like my nephews. I have a bunch of nephews, and you know, like I love talking to them about that stuff. 
But you're right. I don't think there's a, or I haven't seen it anyway, like a very like ever present body of conversations that happen like this, that are focusing on young men and talking to them about who they're going to be 10 years from now. One, helping them believe they're going to be alive 10 years from now and helping them decide what kind of person they're going to be 10 years from now and where they could be 10 years from now. Like what could, what your life can look like? Like you don't have to think about next week. You can, you have the right and you should have the capacity to think about you know, the privilege to think about what your life can be like when you get older and living the life that you actually want. So, like, I appreciate that line of thinking because you're right. I don't think it exists. No, I remember I used to run a youth program in D.C. and with the young men, we did a whole three month group talk on different ways of finding validation outside of sex. You know, there are there are grown men who have a hard time finding validation outside of sex. And yeah. when you present that because what because of what men have meant to the world traditionally throughout time, when you present that to the larger society, no one's going to have any type of sympathy for that. There's going to be no sympathy for that. There's going to be not a lot of grace for that learning curve. It just it's not going to exist in in that vacuum. But that's a real thing. You don't know what you don't know, or who's going to inform you on those things. And we talked about it for three months. What makes you feel good? What makes you feel? Um, needed what makes you feel purposeful outside of having sex and for the first three weeks we had crickets when i would ask that question because it requires a lot of exploration exploration right. requires flexibility traditional manhood isn't very flexible so you know just things like that you can have that conversation with adult men and, and sometimes they'll struggle because to your point those questions have never just been asked in their circles yeah, I was going to say 40 year old men probably still struggle with a lot of that stuff. Right. Because, again, who's asking you these questions to be like, who's asking you these questions? That's not in a fight. Right. Like you're not in the middle of any of a fight <laughs> yeah. where you have yeah. to figure out who you are. Right. Yeah. Like, you yeah. Because a lot of this stuff you learn because you ha you're forced into it because you fight in with the person that you decided to do life with or you're in a relationship. And it's like. You realize, like, if you if you have enough wherewithal to be self-aware, you're thinking about, damn, did I, why am I doing this? Like, I'm, why am I so mad about this? Or what is the value that I place on you? Like, it, it's, and I don't even know what the answer, I don't know how to get there, because I think it's great that you did something, like, that's a, that's a long time, a three-month process is a long time, and I still, like, like, you need, like, to be, we need to start at, like, six years old, start talking about, like, who you gonna be when you get older, and let's think about, you know, like, not just you give mommy flowers, but why do we do these things so that mommy can feel good? Why is it important? To, yeah. Exactly, bro. Exactly. It's but because manhood as a whole has been very performative. You open a car, you you sit on the right, you, you stand on the closest side of traffic. We've prioritized those things from decades ago that just don't hold the same esteem anymore. An average car weighs, what, 3,000 pounds, 3,500 pounds? If that joint hops the curve, it don't matter how close I'm standing on the street. Me and my wife <laughs> right. are both goners. Why are we prioritizing the showmanship and you can do all these things, but you can't legitimately listen to her when she's talking? Like, what's the point of holding open the door if you can't see her as a person? And that's not even blaming these young men because, to your point, like, it's... It's 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 just not a conversation that we're having one. And on the other side of that, there's no soft place for your inability to understand to land. There is no right. soft place. Go on Twitter and talk about you have struggles as a as a man understanding those things. You want to get ripped apart. There's no soft place for that to land. So how do you have the discussion when it's not talked about and then there's no safe place? Like it's we're burning a candle from both ends here. Man, that is that is so deep. Like even just now thinking about that, you know, the per I, I never think about it as just performative, but I think you're right. Like we have all these things that men are just supposed to do, but there's never a conversation about oh, why a man does this or why why you're supposed to do this. Like what's in in the big ones are like the discussions about your emotions. Like, all right, you have all these emotions, but you have nowhere to put them because we just tell boys, just be a man, suck it up. Like suck right. it up, like men don't cry. We do that to little kids all the time. You know, I have three boys and it's funny because I look at that now and I'll let my boys cry, right? Now we're gonna talk about why you're crying. Like what's what's making you cry? Like I have this thing and I, you know, I told my wife I do this and everybody like, like if I hurt one of my kids' feelings, right? Like the first thing right. I do, like I will drop to my knees so that I'm eye to eye with them. Cause I don't wanna be like lording over, like giving this dominating feeling like, like like scary dad. Like I want you to see me. Like if I'm, I'm gonna give you a hug cause I need you to see that. 
And it's so weird because I don't ever remember that happening to me. And I don't know why I started to do that in Navy. I just know one day I felt a very sincere need to apologize to my oldest son. And I thought the only way I could do that was to bring myself down to his level. So he felt me like right there. And I noticed the difference that makes in the things that he'll say to me. He'll talk to me differently, right? Like he'll speak to me. Now it's like pulling teeth sometimes because, you know, he's still seven. So, you know, you get in trouble <laughs> answering questions is difficult. You know, you don't have the words, but. You know, I'm hoping that kind of helps ensure that as they get older, the listening and the give and take will still be there. But every kid don't have a dad doing that. You know what I'm saying? No. It, or, or, a father, or a male figure, for that matter, or a mother who isn't going to tell him to be the man of the house at 12, 11, you know, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. So, like, I'm like, I don't even like how do we get a ra- like, is it just everybody got to go through a three month program? Like, how do we what do we do? <laughs> I think we're doing it now. It's it's hard to see history while it's being made. Um, it's 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 in hindsight that we realize how great thing how our efforts were. We're doing it now. Like my my daughter's in kindergarten, and they have conversations about body autonomy. <laughs> what in kindergarten? It's necessary. You know, you plant those seeds early so that they're not strange conversations when they come up in later years. I think a lot of the work is being done now. I, I always say I look at boy moms like these 2023 boy moms with the great social emotional awareness and the, I'm going to let you have your space and your privacy. I was born in 86, 90s and 80s boy moms will boom, hit you in the chest and, 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 and you know, and, and call you some words that are unsavory in today's climate. So right. We got to remember that we're not being, we weren't brought up on today's values. We were brought up yesterday's values and humans have short-term memories. The things that exist now existed forever. Like we're in this mental health renaissance right now. We're in the full throes of it. And everyone's like, oh, you know, you're a narcissist. You're toxic. And I've, I've never heard anyone use a narcissist in the correct context, an appropriate context ever. People get you it know, wrong all the time. You're gaslighting me. The genesis of gaslighting is manipulation. I'm sharing an opinion that you disagree with. I'm not trying to manipulate you to belittle or invalidate your feelings, but we have all this great socio-emotional language, but we don't know how to practically apply it. So now it's, it's I don't know, it's, it's like you read a book on building airplanes and you think you can go in the garage and build you a B-40 bomber the next day. I think it's like the same principle. It's gonna take us a long time for these boys and girls to grow into men and women demonstrate all of these great lessons that this current society is taught but we still flushing out the the the, the nasty trash water from 20 25 30 years ago i think it's happening right now so it's gonna take us a while to see it all right fair enough all right we're gonna take one more break here dear culture we're gonna come back and i have some fun questions for you we'll get into some black fashion some black accommodations and find out where you <laughs> black can get fashion. all this black fashions and black accommodations i love where you it can get all this knowledge from so stay tuned right here on dear culture time for a quick break we'll be right back the griot black podcast network is here everything you've been waiting for black culture amplified find your voice on the black podcast network listen today on the griot mobile app and tune in everywhere great podcasts are heard all right, we're back here on Dear Culture. I'm still here with Keir Gaines. We've been having a, a, a really in-depth conversation, actually, the kind of thing that you probably need. We wanted to do this multiple times. We had to sit down. These are like the kind of conversations you could literally have all day with people because you you making headways into the ways of the world. But we're here talking to you on this podcast, so we don't have all day. And I do want to get to some fun questions, which, and I'm going to start with this one. What's been the most amazing thing that's happened to you thus far since you become like a a a public figure, but also simultane- simultaneously, what's been the most fulfilling thing that's happened so far since you become Keir Gaines content creator and all these things? So the most amazing, most fulfilling. The most amazing thing, I ain't even gonna hold you, man. Probably making friends with celebrities I've admired for the longest. And not just like, hey, bud, what's up, DM? I mean, like, actual legit friends. That's crazy to me. It's the level of access that this thing gives you is insane, man. Um, I've met some amazing people who I've admired from afar forever and now I'm close personal friends with. That's been the most amazing thing. Uh, The most fulfilling thing is probably the reactions that I get from people on the street. Uh, The love is insane. People are not shy about saying that something you told them has been transformative in their life or in their relationships 
the men that approached me in the street. I think that may be my favorite thing. This one dude walked, I was uh, in DC in Adams Morgan, and I was walking up the street, and this one dude, he was walking, he walked, he said, hey, man, ain't you the dude that be talking that therapy on the internet? I was like, yeah, that's me. <laughs> hey, this dude came over and grabbed and hugged me. He was like, bro, thank you. I be needing to hear that sometimes. And then we proceeded to have a conversation. That's not rare. Like, that's not rare. That happens all the time. I, that's really fulfilling because I get from these men, uh, tons of women, of course, too, but I get from these men that they, they just don't have an outlet for those things. Makes me feel good, man. And it should, because I do think that stuff is important. I mean, you know, as somebody who probably not as many as you do at this, at this point, used to have people come up to me all the time, like, yo, that you wrote, that thing that you wrote about such and such, yo, that was amazing. Like, that happens all the time. And I've always been like, super appreciative of that but it's like dang like you just really never know who's paying attention to what you're doing you know yeah, man. and that's that that's the biggest lesson i've learned out of in my own world and in writing and all this stuff is like you know i mean you you interview kamala harris at this point there's no problem that exists that gets better when we don't talk about it mm. say that again that's what i'm transparent about because when we're transparent about our struggles it emboldens other people to just you know i, I am human you know you You've been, Oprah has spotlighted you. You've been a part of all these things. Like people know who you are, but in a real and legit way, and it's for something worthwhile, not for something that went wrong or went bad or anything like that. And I think, you know, from afar, from outside looking in, that stuff is really impressive. Not just that those celebrities know who you are, but if they know who you are, that means tons of people who aren't famous know who you are and are paying attention and are, you know, hopefully waiting to have that moment where they see you in the street and give you a hug to tell you that the stuff that you talk about is really valuable and helpful and yeah dang i never i never thought about it that way man it was beyonce had something like two years ago i think she was celebrating dads or something and i looked and my picture was in that giant it was like a composition i was like wait a minute somebody on beyonce's team knows who i am she she might she just might know who I it's 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 incredibly dope, but when you're being yourself, you don't have the fear of actually being seen for who you are. It makes you really comfortable in your skin. I walk into a room as me because that's who y'all expect. It's the best way to live, man. Yeah, I and, and I love that. And that, that kind of leads me to the last, like, big question I'm going to ask you, which is, like, could you ever have imagined this is the life that you would live? But the yeah. second part of that is, has this, like, has this changed where you think you can go? And I'm, I'm, I'm going to tell you why I asked that second part. I stopped trying to map out my life years ago because every door that's opened for me through Very Smart Brothers is a door I didn't know existed. I didn't know it was out there. I didn't know to even go look for it, right? Mm. I've been able to do the most amazing, craziest things. I speak at universities. Like, I've, I speak to companies. They pay me a, insane amounts of money to do these things. And I go places and people know who I am. I get, I, I've met every, I've met so many famous people at this point. Fame doesn't, it's not even, it's not even a little bit like, um, what's the term? Intimidating. Like, I mean, famous, I've, I've been in fights with famous people at this point, like active, oh, like yeah. active, like we got into it with famous people that, <laughs> Me you know, too. like that kind of stuff has happened. <laughs> right. So it's like, yeah, I, I'm completely over celebrity as like a, as like a thing that like, mo like internally like does something for me. But, you know, so I stopped thinking about where I can get because randomly I'll get an email that changes the trajectory of that just like this. And now I'm going a different direction and I'm about to go meet this person to do this. And it's changed the course of my life. So like, how has that been for you? So, so start with the first part. Like, did you ever possibly see this? And has this changed the way you even view your future? No, I didn't see this, man. I thought I was going to be working in District of Columbia public schools until I got my license. And then I was going to do private practice. And I was completely content with that, just seeing my clients and, and being a therapist. Uh, no, no, no. And to your point, I don't I don't plan like that anymore. Like, I, I lean into the things that make sense and feel good and I allow life to happen. It's, it's, I'm past the point of being able to plan. The opportunities are crazy. The connections are crazy. I just try to make sure that I show up in those spaces in a way that once I'm done with what I have to do, I feel proud about it. I feel good about it. I feel like it's a reflection of me. Like you said, I'm past celebrity. I done gotten into fights with super, well, not fights, but disagreements with like super famous people. I'm like, yo, you're just a person and you wrong. So, right. So, you're a person yeah, and you wrong. 
It's, and you that's wrong. What, I had to get separated from a celebrity because of that. Because I was like, you wrong, bro. You know you wrong. You're wrong. And I had to be separated. You're wrong. But, you know, business is business. You're wrong. But. Hey, but sometimes business is personal. And we got to stop acting like one of the most personal things ever ain't business. And I got to talk too crazy by a celebrity. And I'm like, wait a minute. This don't feel right. And then me and that person really had it out. I'm like, man, you are not used to having conversations with people who do not need you, who do not depend on you for for their lifestyle or their or their sustenance or anything. I don't I don't I don't have to acquiesce. So we're gonna have this conversation. Either way, um yeah, it's 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 just it's a it's a regular thing, man. It's and that's what I tell myself in my head. It's a regular thing. Uh huh. If I, I don't know what the next thing is, but if if I'm out presented to my team, which is my wife and my manager and my family, and if the consortium says it's a good move and it feels good in my heart, shoot straight with it, man. Yeah, I love that, man. I, and I love that for you. I mean, I've said that already, but I, I love that for you. And I like, you know, it's, I come to appreciate the randomness of my own life in that way, how just, like I said, you never know. An email could change the course of everything. You know, like I got an email today that I'm like, huh, I never thought about that. But now that I'm thinking about that, that's going to change the way that I do things two weeks from now. You know what I mean? And and I Absolutely. love I love how the social media and the Internet makes all that possible and how when you do good work, people come and find you. And and, you know, like you stop looking for the folks they because they're out there looking for you. And once they find a way to get to you, they get to you. Um, and I love that. So I, I'm appreciative of my own opportunities. And I know yours is insane. So I, I, I like that. I got a question to um, ask you. I yep. always wondered this. So when people walk up to you and they're like, oh, man, I love this thing that you did. Or, oh, man, I, I love this. I love that talk that you had or this point that you made. What's your reaction? Like, what is that space like for you? Is it weird? Do you go over and above, above like a YouTuber? You know how YouTubers are like over the top excited. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much. That means so much to me that you would say that. Like kind of like the fake over the top personality, yeah. or do you just kind of hit them even kill? Like, how do you approach those situations? Um, so what I've learned about myself is that one, I genuinely enjoy meeting people. So when somebody comes and tells me that something that I've done, uh, that they both interacted with or they really enjoy whatever, like, you know, I'm very appreciative of it. I'm definitely not going over the world. I'm like, you know, thank you. Like that really means something to me. And I I've had this 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 luxury suppose of people like feeling like they know me like people ask about my family and stuff you know i wrote an article about sure. my mom years ago that went viral and so people always like to talk to me about that um but i'm pretty even killed with it and what i always make sure to do this is something i always make sure to do is ask people what their name is because every time yeah like i want you to know that i care about who's talking to me right because i've been in this position where you know i forget people's names and i feel so bad about that so i always like to make when i'm talking to you i like to you know, use your name. And know, so I, I, I'm appreciative. People come up, yo, what's up P? Like, I love what you just did. That was great. I love this article that you wrote. Like, and people like to argue with me too. So that's another thing. So it allows me to just be normal. Cause people like to argue with me about stuff that I write. Like people don't just say, yo, that article was great. They'd be like, yo, you wrong about number eight, bro. I'm like, what was number eight? And I'm like, I don't remember that. You know, people like to, so that that's one thing that lets me know that the stuff that I'm doing actually matters to some degree. Like people remember specifics about it. Like, oh, you the dude that wrote that article. How are you going to say Alicia Keys can't sing, bro? Like she can't. And then we get to next thing you know, we're having a 30, 45 minute argument or debate, but it's fun. Right. And I was like, man, I met a new person. Something I wrote literally created this environment where I can do this. Like, I love that type of stuff. Like I live yeah, for it. Do. It doesn't overwhelm me. Like I'm an extrovert. It does people coming to talk to me doesn't overwhelm me. I don't feel like, wow, after I've done, I'm like, I need to ex exhale or whatever. Now I love that. Like I feed off of that and I love it. And I, I'm appreciative that that's the life that I live where that can happen to me sometimes. You know what I'm saying? For like, sure. I love that. I like that yeah. you embrace it because it's very easy to be like, Oh nah, what I did isn't that good. I'll, oh no. You know, like the, I'm not going to say fake humility, but like the abundance of humility where you can't accept a compliment or you can't accept the fact that someone is appreciative of something you put out into the world and just stand and receive that love. There's so many people who can't take that it's too much in a the moment. They try to deflect it in some way. And I'm glad you're able to receive that love. That's something I learned a couple of years ago and I'm all in there. I'll sit there and I'll let you tell me everything you see and I'll just absorb it, man. Be really appreciative for the moment. 
Yeah, man, I love learning from people. Time for a quick break. We'll be right back. So now comes like my favorite part of my podcast, Dear Culture, where we, we get go. into our black fashions. And here's why we do this. Black people oh, love saying we ain't a monolith, right? We love telling anytime we all want to say we do something, which we all stereotypically do all the same stuff. But anytime people do that, people say, like, well, we're not a monolith. We don't, you know, we don't all think alike. Cool. So here's an opportunity to prove it. Black fashions, which is a confession, something about your blackness that people will be surprised uh, to know about you because you black. So, right. do you have a black fashion? Yeah, man. I All do. right, let's go. Man, it's going to get me canceled, but, you know, I'm going to lean on the culture for this. I don't understand mac and cheese. It's not that good. It tastes like salt, butter, and fat. That's it. It tastes like cheese. I'm sorry, it tastes like cheese, fat, and salt. It it don't have no diversity of, like, flavor profiles. It tastes like one. I don't understand mac. It's not that good, man. It's not that. You were good. like the fifth person to ha- to say mac and cheese. Like people, I'm learning. Black people, we really over-index our love for mac and cheese and as a staple item because so many black people do not rock with mac and cheese. I am I, so surprised by of, this. It's one of those things. Like if there's a show everyone says is funny, and it's just like the collective believe that it's funny, and even though you're in the minority, you be like, ha ha ha, a few things were funny. This is the funniest show ever. You just kind of got to go along to get along because that's what the culture says. I feel that way about mac and cheese. I don't I don't understand people before. <laughs> no, it need to yeah. have some onions or some garlic or something in it. It's just plain. And don't if, if you come at me talking about, oh, you, your family don't know how to cook, stop it. My family's from low country, South Carolina. They'll cook your family under the table. Like, don't play <laughs> with me like that. Yeah, I, I'm, listen, I love mac and cheese. I've become, I, I love my family's mac and cheese. Everybody's mac and cheese ain't good. That's what I've definitely learned. I love when my family cooks it and, you know, people, there's some restaurants to go to that's really good mac and cheese, but, you know, they probably also trying to kill me with too much salt at the same time. But I'm just surprised. I'm not, I'm not surprised by that anymore because I've done enough of these where people say they don't like mac and cheese for real, for real, that now I'm like, huh, maybe I'm learning that mac and cheese ain't as, belo- ain't as beloved as I think it is. But that's a good lesson, good thing to know. So, you won't be canceled so for that, people, brother. People be saying that a lot. Like they don't like mac and cheese. I didn't notice that. All right, I'll can I get can I get a can I get a one A? If that's my one, can I get a one yeah, A? I'll yo, make feel it real free. Quick. Get, 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 what, what you got, man? So that's gonna get me killed. You know how we always say white people don't season their food. I have a theory that black people over season everything. And if you if you look if like if if. Your grandma put a pound of salt in the collard greens growing up. Of course you won't think a dash of salt here and there is under season. And, and, and man, my people love getting that too. We don't overseason everything. What are the two leading killers of black people? Salt and sugar. Yeah. Arguably the police yeah. sometimes. But like salt and sugar. It's like, bro, it's yeah. killing us. We overseason everything. Come on, man. Why, why, do, why do sweet potatoes got my cavity going crazy? Yeah. Then they got marshmallows in it too, huh? Come I talked on, man. to uh, back. Anthony, yeah, I talked to Anthony Anderson about that one time because he said that uh, he never drank Kool Aid, and I was like, "That's probably why you here because you know black people over, <laughs> you know, we start with the sugar, right? You know, oh, you're still man. alive because you didn't drink Kool Aid because you know we you pour with your heart, which is half a bag of sugar and some Kool Aid. So you just drink straight sugar, it's syrup at some point. So yeah, no, it I'm, it's funny. I but was doing fire the, the, though, yeah. It, yeah, I mean, what you you got Kool Aid in your house? Y'all y'all a Kool Aid oh. house? We're not a Kool Aid house, but I grew up on Kool Aid, and I man, I I pour the sugar to that thing. We, Stop, we don't man. have any Kool Aid in my yeah. house, but I I grew up on Kool Aid too. Um, okay, all right, so you got your one in one A. I appreciate that. Um, you know, and I agree. I actually do agree. I do think we overseason food sometimes. Like, there's a right amount, and we a lot of people miss that. A lot of people completely miss the right amount. They they yeah they you know. <laughs> So, all right. So, to counteract, you know, the 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 black fashion that you provide, we also ask people for a black recommendation, which is a recommendation for by about something black, like for black people, for the community, for the culture. Do you have a black recommendation? Yeah, I do actually. There's this company called Sawa Fair. It's owned by my man Chris Classic, and they have fragrances. They have a lot of stuff, but mainly fragrances. And he uses, I mean, like the salt of the earth fragrances. Like I'm gonna mix a little. Uh, what did they bring Jesus back in the day? Uh, uh, so, uh, something in myrrh. Myrrh. I'll mix myrrh. I'll mix myrrh and African violet or like some stuff. It smells good. It smells so good. Sawa fair. 
Uh, I just bought like five bottles of the cologne. Every time I put it on, my wife is like, and uh, he's not paying me. I'm just a patron, but I absolutely love his products. I'm not one of those, like, I'm, I'm always going to buy black, but it's something special when you buy from a good business that has a good practice and good quality products, and it's also black. Like, not not just, you know, I'm going to do the black old business with a T-shirt and the right. peeling off the chest in two days, but, hey, I supported my people. Like, nah, I am a sucker for a good business practice and a quality product with amazing customer service. And and they got all three, so stop walking here. All right, like, duly noted. And I saw you posted that recently on your IG, which leads to the last part. Like, how can people find you so that they can go see, you know, some of these affirmations that you share, some of the best practices, the things that you talk about? Like, where can people find Kier Gaines? You can find me on Instagram, K-I-E-R, Gaines, G-A-I-N-E-S. If you just type in K-I-E-R, you'll see my big black face smiling. It's, it's almost unmistakable. Uh, my Instagram is where I post the majority of my content. I don't say I have followers. I say I have a community because even in the content comment section, people are helping other people. They're sharing their experiences. It's a real comment other section. Up yeah. It's a real comment section, man. It's not just dogpiling negativity, uh, which is hard to find on the Internet. So please come on. I would love to have you be part of my community. Just don't say nothing to me about mac and cheese or overseasoning food because we're going to get into it. <laughs> nice. I'm just, well, I was just kidding. But I'm not. Brother, I appreciate your time and coming to talk. This is a real conversation. I, I genuinely appreciate that stuff. And like, you can, there's a give and take and like a real discussion about stuff that matters because, you know, it's easy to kind of talk about not the stuff that doesn't matter, but stuff that doesn't have far reaching impacts on the community. Like, and, and the work For that sure. you do, I think, is the kind of stuff that I genuinely think has a far reaching impact on like not just the black community, but the community at large. Like, we are a world community. And I think that as people, learning to be better humans, availing ourselves of therapy, um, being intentional about those, those things we do. It just, you know, caring about your fellow man and trying to trying to be there for other people, I think is something that truly goes a long way. So I appreciate that these are things that you do and do well and authentically in a way that doesn't make me feel like I'm being talked to, but I'm talking with, you know what I mean? For sure. So you appreciate it. Oh, uh, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on. Is I I always go places and I get to talk about me, the therapist, but I really get to talk about me, the person. So, uh, whenever a black man can appear in front of a screen and talk about the things that are going on in his life, and people are receptive to it, it's always amazing. So, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you, brother. And uh, for dear culture, thank everybody for listening. Thank you for checking out uh, this podcast episode. Make sure you check out every other podcast that we have here at the Real Black Podcast Network. Uh, writing Black, The Blackest Questions, The Deal, the, the Griot Daily. We got a bunch of wonderfully black content. If you like what you heard, be sure to download The Griot's app to hear more episodes of Dear Culture and more original content from The Griot Black Podcast Network. Please email all questions, suggestions, and compliments to podcast at thegriot.com. Dear Culture is an original production brought to you by The Griot Black Podcast Network. I'm political scientist, author, and professor, Dr. Christina Greer, and I'm host of The Blackest Questions on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. This person invented ranch dressing around 1950. Who are they? I have no idea. This all began as an exclusive Black History trivia party at my home in Harlem with family and friends. And they got so popular, it seemed only right to share the fun with our Griot listeners. Each week, we invite a familiar face on the podcast to play. What was the name of the person who was an enslaved chief cook for George Washington and later ran away to freedom? In 1868, this university was the first in the country to open a medical school that welcomed medical students of all races, genders, and social classes. What university was it? No, th this is why I like doing stuff with you because I leave educated. I was not taught this in Alabama public schools. Question yeah. number three, you ready? Yes, let me okay. try to redeem myself. How do we go from Kwanzaa to like, these obscure sport, This is like the New York Times crossword from a Monday to a Saturday. Right or wrong? Because all we care about is the journey and having some fun while we do it. I'm excited and also a little nervous. Oh, listen, no need to be nervous. And as I tell all of my guests, 
This is an opportunity for us to educate ourselves because black history is American history. So we're just gonna have some fun. Listen, some people get zero out of five, some people get five out of five. It doesn't matter. We're just gonna be on a little intellectual journey together. Latoya Cantrell? That's right, Mayor okay. Latoya Cantrell. Hercules Posey. Mm. Born in 1754, and he was a member of the Mount Vernon slave community, widely admired for his culinary skills. I'm going to guess Afropunk. Close. It's okay. Afro Nation. So last year, according to my research, it's Samuel Wilson, aka Falcon. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. I, I am I am disputing this. I'm very, 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 very 99.9999 sure that it is Representative John Lewis, who is also from the state of Alabama. That lets you know, Christina, we got some goodness come out of Alabama. There is something in the water in Alabama, and you are absolutely correct. The harder they come. Close. Oh, wait. Uh, the harder they fall? That's right. I'm one of those people that that just changes one word. I mean, I know this show too well. I just don't know nothing today. It's I'm gonna pour myself a little water while you tell me the answer. The answer is Seneca Village, which began in 1825 with the purchase of land by a trustee of the AME Zion Church. You know why games like this make me nervous? I don't know if I know enough black. Do I know enough? How black am I? Oh my lord! They they gonna we gonna find out in public. So give us a follow, subscribe, and join us on the Blackest Questions.